Creative, challenging, elevated, imaginative, original, insightful, mature, profound, serious, adult. I'm just overflowing with adjectives to describe contemporary popular culture and, and criticism. You know, I, I turned the, on the internet today to find a discussion about the function and purpose of awards in cinema. So just uh, this is a little example from a noted pop culture blogger. Greta and Margot, while it can sting to win the box office but not take home the gold, your millions of fans love you. You're so much more than Knuff. This was from at Hillary Clinton. Should look her up. Should lock her up, indeed. Um, we're, we're optimistic on this podcast. Uh, we try to see in the crises of our time some political opportunity. But what we are not is optimistic. This idea of optimism uh, is the notion of treating mainstream pop music and by extension pop culture as weighty, serious, worthy of debate, and above all, respect. Respect because there's millions of fans out there. And as we all know, we must kowtow to the fan. Hello, everyone. Welcome to BungaCast, the global politics podcast at the end of the end of history. Uh, I'm Alex Hochili in Sao Paulo, Brazil, as usual. Uh, George Hoare is in the uh, glitzy capital of a decaying country, London, England. Hello, George. Yep. Hi. It, yep. Good characterization. It is yep. very much decaying. Everything's blowing over in, in a strong gale here. So, yep. <laughs> Uh, and uh, Philip Cunliffe is also of this podcast, but he is away today. Um, but today I'm really happy to welcome our guest, Laya Saudi, um, who, if you don't know, is a frontman of the British band Fat White Family, co-author of a memoir which came out a couple of years ago called 10,000 Apologies, which I've just finished reading. And I have to say it's a riot. Um, I genuinely laughed out loud at, at several points. And if you're into kind of uh, a rock memoir, um, accounts and tales of drugs and uh, success and failure and all the rest of it, um, I highly recommend you pick it up. And he's also now uh, a writer at Unheard, several interesting searching pieces on there, but all this is linked in the show notes if you want to check it out. Anyway, Lias, welcome. Howdy. How's it going? But yeah, very well. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited to, but we, I've been meaning to do this for, for a long time. Um, I think we, we kind of interacted on, yeah. on Instagram yeah. a little while ago and yeah, every now and then, every now and then a little silo, you know. But um, I, I love the book, yeah. by the way. I thought it was great. The end of the end of history. Yeah, well, so the, stuff, you know. I so delighted to hear that. And so Berlusconi as a kind of avant-garde, kind of as a prophecy, you know. But now I see. Now I see the truth, you know. Yeah, right. Um, the cult of Berlusconi must go on even um, after yeah. his death. Maybe, indeed, especially after his death. Um, yeah, yeah, avant-garde. I like that. I don't think we ever use that term with regard to him, but um, you're right. Um, avant-garde in a kind of really naff, postmodern way. Um, but yeah, no, I was delighted, obviously, when, when kind of you got in touch and you'd said you read our book. And um, I saw Fat White Family back in some festival in Hackney in, in, in like 2015. Um, I don't remember too much okay. of it, but no doubt it was less inebriated than, than the band, um, according to the book anyway. So um, that's all good and as it should be. 
anyway, so um, I, maybe I should start there. I don't want to do this. We're a politics podcast. I'm not going to do some kind of try to be a, a music journalist and do that kind of interview here. But I am going to start with a really naff question, which is that the biographical aspect. In the book, you talk about starting a band to get laid and or famous, which is, again, par for the course and as it should be. Um, not the case for for podcasters, of course. I, I should um, be clear. I haven't got either of those things out of this. Um, <laughs> I want to ask you if you succeeded in, in, in your endeavor, but... Um, I will ask if you if you did, especially in light of the fact that the kids are doing less and less drugs and drink by by um, many measures um, in the UK and the mm. US and, and elsewhere as well. Ask whether you did the right whether you feel you did the right drugs, not the right amount, but the right drugs. I think, I mean, the answer would probably have to be. Uh, no, <laughs> I think uh, everything just kind of took its own course, you know, and I don't think there is like a good amount of cocaine, you know, I don't think there is like an optimum kind of not that I didn't have some, some good times, but like, ultimately, uh, it's just so destructive, and you kind of roll along with it for such a long time. Eventually, you find yourself kind of just mired in like pure contingency, you know, suddenly you're kind of approaching middle age and like everybody left the party a long time ago, but you're still there, you know, and the lights come up, you know, and you're still, and it's kind of embarrassing more than anything else. I think, you know, it's kind of like I've thoroughly shamed myself and you kind of forget why you started down that road in the first place. You know, I think to get laid is a bit of a broad, certainly to show off, you know, I think there was a deep, deep, deep need for me to show off probably because of a middle child kind of a thing or something like that you know but that was I had to kind of have that center of attention thing but I was I was at art school initially I was at the Slade when I was 18 I moved from small town Northern Ireland and I wanted to be an artist a fine artist you know but I immediately kind of developed this chip on my shoulder down there you know like everybody was better off where they were middle class or something I wanted to do my art at the pub, you know, I wanted to combine it with my drinking and drugging, you know. I guess that's the root note, you know. I had to be able to work while getting fucked up, you know. I had to merge these two parts of my life. So it was, yeah, contingency, you know. But uh, difficult to knock it on the it's, head. It's very very contemporary and, and millennial, you know. You, you you want to get messed up, but you want to remain productive, you know, keep, keep that productivity up. <laughs> you have to keep that productive. You know, you've got no choice, you know. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta do it, you know. But yeah, the wrong, the wrong, definitely, definitely the wrong drugs a lot of the time. Definitely bad drugs. I mean, just nothing good comes of cocaine abuse, and I think that was a big part of it, you know. I think the other thing, you know, if you're talking about hallucinogenics or ketamine or, or whatever, you know, I think all of them have kind of a potentially, you know, soul expansive kind of capacity, but. Cocaine is just just the devil, you know. Even heroin has a kind of mystic kind of capacity, you know, but but not the sniff, you know. It just fucks everything up. No, fair enough. And I, I think you know, in in today's context, um, I think the secret is out now that the culture is fucked. I mean, I don't think anyone defends contemporary popular culture, um, which is basically culture as a whole now, unless they're morons or they're paid to be morons. Um, which you know is a, is a is a significant enough um, body of the population, but as a whole, I think there's 
at least a sense of disquiet, if not, you know, outright disappointment or even outrage at the kind of outright stupidity and the, and the way that we're treated um, by by cultural producers as as stupid, right? By movie studios yeah. and, and whatever else. And this, I don't know if this, how this relates to the, the kind of drug question, because there's, I think, a, a way of, of, of I mean, it was so integral, I think, to, to so much Western kind of popular culture that I wonder if there's some sort of, um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, you know, whether the kind of decline in, in kind of drug taking and, and or increasingly the use of drugs just to kind of get by rather than mm. for pure hedonism is something that seems to have changed. And I wonder if, if you find that that relates in any way to the kind of monotony and, and steril, sterility of contemporary culture. Yeah, I think they're definitely connected in some way. I mean, what's the thing with all that? I think the connection is sort of, you're trying to illuminate something that's essentially unknowable with art, you know? some sort of resonance in the universe, which is not explicit. You know, you're trying to uncover this thing and you need to, you need to establish a new perspective if you're going to crack any new ground. And I guess in that sense, drugs have always been part and parcel with any kind of visionary kind of, you know, psychically kind of expansive kind of, you know, experience that you need to kind of lay something out. And I guess, if like bringing it back to like productivity, you know, like the pressure's so so on, like these these spaces where the the, the, sh the shadows basically within society where these things can kind of properly malform over time, you know, I would describe it as getting like fungal, you know, you need these kind of dark spaces and you need to be able to sort of smash your brain one way or the other, you know, so you can kind of just get out of it, desystematize, you know, cut loose, you know, I think. Uh, I think there's definitely less space for that. There's less space for like just abject failure, you know, like the game is just a lot harder than it's ever, ever been. You know, I don't know what it's like signing on welfare now, but that's how we all used to operate. You'd, you'd work a part-time job on, on the black and you'd, you'd sign on welfare and that was how you'd live. I don't know whether it's like that now, but even back then, 15 years ago in London, you could always find some crappy pub to live above, you know, and it didn't feel like the walls were always about to fall fall in, you know? But I also think it's a kind of thing, I don't know, where you've got like social media, that wasn't quite a thing either, you know, where people are getting their kick out of that. And this is just kind of like blanket homogenization of the inside of people's heads, you know? Kind of how like every high street looks uh, the same. The inside of everybody's head has to look the same. And I think it's more to do yeah. with kind of like, like society, basically, our culture begins to resemble like the the machine, the kind of digital kind of. So, like the nodes, there has to be as little resistance between the nodes as possible. You know, therefore, like automatically, the machine just turns people, you know, into the same. I guess that was already the case with TV, but it's just like ramped up to this like mad kind of level where it becomes really difficult to have any kind of not even like insight, but just to stray from one opinion to another, you know? Does yeah. That, does that make I mean, sense? just, no, that definitely makes sense. I mean, speaking as uh, somebody who grew up in what I think is the UK's number one clone town. So it has the most number of uh, shops on the high street, which you can find elsewhere. So it's 
a no in some ways a nowhere place reading specifically mm. yeah this kind of the the point that you're making about like productivity you can see it when people are microdosing it's not it's kind of you know you're taking psychedelics not to kind of have some kind of transgressive i know not, that's not even the right way to put it but to have some experience outside of these lines you've delimited for yourself it's like mm. experimenting within these very uh kind of small boundaries i guess and that's you know that kind of uh, i think you put in the unheard piece this spirit of willful abrasion like like yeah. this idea that like you're gonna you're gonna kind of take something that's there and push it further than you should and kind of you know there might be some consequences yeah. to your uh, psyche or like your short-term health uh, or long-term health in doing this but you're gonna kind of you're gonna try and i don't know destroy it a little bit that seems really like you were saying because of social media in part because of you know the weight of of needing to i guess conform which has always been there but maybe is stronger today it seems really hard to imagine where this kind of space is to get fungal for young people yeah. i don't know it seems, it's easy to be kind of older and conservative about this stuff uh, as we all get older but like is there this space to get kind of i don't I know think, um, to experience abrasion i think i like uh I, I mean this is the thing i don't want to sound kind of like you know like i'm pouring scorn on the the kids or whatever but i certainly don't see it in like indie rock and roll and in the genre no. from which i've kind of grown out of i think that has become professionalized and and gentrified you know for for want of a less kind mm. of generic term you know i think it's become yeah something that people do kind of yeah professionally you know and that thing where it's like you established this just arbitrary quest, you know, you basically put, you paint yourself into a corner and then that's, you know, you have to, you know, how good are you at your thing? You know, do you have any talent? Do you actually have a vision, you know, and you can kind of like savage your whole existence and then you have to kind of like write your way out of it, you know, and it was kind of like establishing this kind of, you know, gauntlet for yourself within society, basically turning yourself into your own scapegoat, you know, like that was kind of like, the former mode but that certainly isn't happening in, anymore not not where it i don't think I, and i think it is kind of it, it boils down to something as simple as like the practicalities of it you know if you want to have a band you have to have like guitars amplifiers a place to rehearse cables it's just fucking expensive you know like i think if you're a kind of yeah a soundcloud rapper or somebody making like avant-garde techno in their bedroom i think there's things happening in those you know if you go like to the clubs in berlin or whatever weird shit is going down you know people are getting fungal you know but like in the kind of rock and roll scene it's kind of it's just kind of geriatric from from you know from bottom to top you know it's it's mm. it's over and i guess people have been declaring it over for a long time you know but i just feel like it's it's kind of lost any real vi vitality you know and i think that last thing yeah. of like I mean, you've got to think about it. There's just nothing in it for people anymore. Not only do people not pay for your music, you know, so you spend all this money making these these productions, but you can't live off record sales. That's just a fantasy, you know? And, like, you're expected to have the kind of moral standing of a kind of mid-level, mid-level, like, labor politician or something, you know? You can't have any skeletons <laughs> in the closet. Your friends can't have any skeletons. You know, it's like everybody has to be kind of public relations savvy. It's just a fucking nightmare, you know? 
Like there's, there's no room for be an operator. You have to be an operator and you have to say the right things yeah. on the right cues, you know, whereas before it was like, I want to see if I can upset like everybody. How many people can we upset at the same time and then work back from that, yeah. you know? And then then you've established like a kind of heroic arc, like automatically, you know? But now it's like that that whole thing of like a band being kind of bigger than itself and like mythologizing and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's just not, not there, you know? So, I mean, like thinking back to, to kind of your own history with Fat White Family and other kind of musical endeavors that you did was setting out to be edgy or provocative or confrontational. And I know those are all kind of slightly different things. Was that a, a goal of yours? I mean, did were you self-conscious in terms of what you were trying to achieve by doing that? Or was it a, a kind of a, just an instinct of youth to just go, yeah, fuck off. I think there was always, I always had that impulse of like, uh, just kind of exposing myself in some gratuitous way. I think that was there from when I was a, like a child. I remember getting up on a table at school and just pulling my pants down in front of the whole class and just fucking causing trouble or whatever, you know? And I think it's kind of, there's an impulse, like I was saying, just a, just a kind of performative kind of thing. But with us we were in bands before fat white family that were i guess slightly more pedestrian and it went absolutely nowhere you know and uh we got to a point where we were kind of uh just we completely reached kind of ground zero in terms of like thinking we had any kind of prospect and then at that point we were just purely making things for our own amusement amusement you know so that's when the songs, you know, whether it's writing kind of like uh, love letters to to Hitler from Goebbels in the bunker or whatever, or Cream of the Young about pederast kind of TV personalities or, you know, this kind of just like the, the, the filth, you know, like anything that kind of uh, that felt like we could like daub the world in, in the same shit that we felt that it had daubed us in you know it was kind of that was what we were doing it was our way of taking some small vengeance on reality you know it was just this filth but it was really just for us you know and we really didn't have anything even remotely approaching a game plan or it was just like us and then we'd go to a pub and then we'd do it there for a bit and it went on like that for years but i mean i guess a lot of the people we were into had followed down that route. I mean, definitely in the kind of DNA, but it was more a natural kind of a progression. Right. So, I mean, like maybe looking back on it, that delving into a kind of nihilistic shittiness, which obviously like has its appeal when, Mm. you know, to put it kind of bluntly, society is increasingly nihilistic and shitty. Um, How does that, how do you see, how, how do you see that provocation working? If it's, if it's kind of, there's a certain mirror image, I guess, going on there. I think it's just, I think it's like, uh, you're just a product of your times, you know what I mean? It's like originality is just like some fabled fucking El Dorado. Like this is get out of town, forget about it. You know, you are just like a symptom of whatever era you're born into, you know, which is kind of just disturbing, you know, it's like that, that bit about, uh, flow, flow bear, uh, flow bear in, um, rings of Saturn, you know, where he's all freaked out about his work. Because he considers it, you know, it's all—it's already so infected by the time he lives in that, you know, he wants to just destroy all of it, you know. And it's kind of like it can almost prevent you from doing any anything, you know. But then also the the pressure's kind of off. 
But I think um, it doesn't make any sense to make things that aren't uh, deeply, pathologically, luridly kind of nihilistic. I think if you're young and that's the world, you know, there's no faith in anything, you know. And back then, like it was just after like 2008 and it was like your portion of history is just going to be this like grotesque kind of decline, you know. And it's only gotten worse and worse and worse, um, more comically awful. Yeah. Um, so, so, I mean, it, thinking about like the kind of musical context of <clears throat> of the 2010s, right? Like, I think at some point in in, in the book, 10,000 Apologies, you, you write that, um, you know, you wanted to make music that was an antidote to all that shit being made in London. And there was a lot of terrible, I mean, particularly like landfill indie, as it was called, was probably the worst of the lot. But I also think that there's, I mean, when I think of millennial music, there's a particular sound, which is that of what I call like millennial epic. At least that's what I think mm. of it in, in my head. And probably the crystallization of that or the kind of pure juice essence of, of that would be something like Paradise by, by Coldplay. Yeah. And you can see that song being used in a million different reels and videos on Instagram for, for advertising like some waterfall or something that you're going to go visit or whatever for t- like yeah. tourism and travel and anything else. Right. And I wonder like the, how you understand that because like, I don't think you, none of the music you did sounds like it sounded like it was trying to be epic and how you understand a lot of kind of indie music trying to sound big, yeah, somehow grand and epic, but, but incredibly um, thin and shallow at the same time. I mean, this is the. Th- I think you still want to go in. You want to go in for that kind of like uh, widescreen kind of a thing, you know. And there's the kind of like Morricone kind of widescreen, and then there's that kind of like I don't know, like the way it implores you to kind of like reach forth, reach up, you know, the Coldplay kind of like the enthusiasm in it. It's just kind of fetid, you know. It's it's like. Don't hang your your fucking optimism on me, you know. Like I don't, I don't, I don't want it, you know. But I think it's kind of like, uh, no, I think I think to work at scale like that, uh, I think that's a great thing if you can pull it off, you know. But it's just all the more kind of like oppressive when it's like rooted in just that kind of facile, utterly kind of commercial kind of thing, you know. I mean. It was pretty dark times, but I just think, like I said, it's been dying for for a long, for a long time. You know, like in the in the in the north. Is there anything you, you particularly that... hated? Like anything that you just would disgust you profoundly? I mean, it's easier for me to to say whether or not there was anything I I didn't find like disgusting. You know, I mean, it was all what was <laughs> what was what was decent. You know. There were a few bands we really liked from like country teasers and the makeup, and they were kind of more like from the nineties, you know. But in the noughties, there really wasn't much. There was that that last flurry of kind of like romance with like Amy Winehouse and the Libertines or whatever, you know. But there was some kind of hackneyed about all of that, you know. And then it was kind of like I don't know, like the Pitchfork era, with kind of like music as like spreadsheets, you know decimal places and these kind of like the musical kind of police you know which was just sickening you either had this kind of utterly generic garbage whether it's kind of like i don't know 
the Kaiser Chiefs or something. And then you had your kind of like all super hip kind of like in the know kind of a thing going on, you know, it lost any of that kind of proletarian vitality, you know, any of that kind of knacker vitality, that, that thing where you start to wear your arrested development, like a crown was just out, you know, I think that's what bit the dust, but things I found particularly dispiriting. I mean, I mean, fucking hell, Coldplay, but Coldplay is just so, it just goes without saying, you know, but it's baffling. Mm. You never actually meet anybody who's a Coldplay fan. You never actually, I've never met anybody that's met anybody that's met anybody. It's like, is it even really a thing? You know, have you ever been down to the O2 to see if there are actually like 20,000 people down there? You know, is it, is it actually going on or is it like a fucking, <laughs> you know? You think it's a, it's a psyop? It could be it's a, a psyop. psyop that people... It, it could be a psyop. This is yeah, what for... we're this is what we're supposed to like. This is what we're supposed to we're supposed to feel this kind of low key but slightly soaring optimism. I mean, this is obviously not you know fat white family. That the I think in the book it comes across this kind of I don't want to say negativity, but like the spirit of like basically saying like these you know this this culture seems shit and if there's anything you can do to upset as many people as possible, as you put it, that is, that must be the, that must be a route out of it. If there is any route out of it. I mean, did yeah at the time was, were you kind of thinking like we could, if we blaze a trail here, we could have people follow us. I don't know. It seems like, <clears throat> you know, reflecting back on that, that period of particularly British musical history is not, you know, could it well, have been it- otherwise? Probably not. I think it was kind of like, it was really sort of, uh, I didn't realize how kind of dead all that kind of carry on was, you know. But then when kind of Trump got in around that time, you know, the great awakening and everybody became kind of hyper kind of sensitive. And there was this real change that happened very quickly. It was like amazing how kind of like how out of sync it was with all that and how kind of unthinkable that kind of carry on would now be for a younger band coming through. You just wouldn't get a look in now with any of that kind of carry on, you know, we don't have, we just can't afford the the ambiguity. And that's coming back to that thing of it, you know, art and culture just being utterly like kind of patronizing, you know, it's like everybody's too stupid, you know, we can't, we can't risk it, you know, because we were really kind of, it was the 2010s and it was kind of all happening. And then suddenly we were kind of like, uh, you know, I think certain quarters kind of turned on the band, you know. And I think it was kind of like we were these kind of malevolent, malevolent, malevolent we were this malevolent energy or whatever, you know. And now it's kind of like yeah. too easy to be provocative, you know. It's just easy mode, like so everybody's been right. nudged into uh, the- that, that's a good point. It makes it makes it, even the provocateurs not have to work off all that hard to to kind of poke at something. To, yeah, to there's nobody a reaction. There's nobody to compete with, you know. So it's it's just like I mean, I had a thing. I went to meet the record label a few weeks ago to talk about this new single we've just put out called "Bullet of Dignity," and it's like there's nothing in there, you know. There's not there's no pseudo fascist stuff or you know any kind of like. Uh, anything particularly perverse. I mean, 
in the thing but they're, 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 I'm in a meeting at Domino Records and there's like eight people in there the plugger and the, you know the art people you know and they're like so you know with radio with the radio they might not you know they might just call it dignity and I was like why you know and they were like I oh, you know because of the word the word bullet you know and I was like what do you mean <laughs> you know and, and they were like well you know the war you know and I was just like what do you mean the war? Like, what the fuck, you know? But I mean, in the end, they just, in the end, they just called it Bullet of Dignity on the, on, on the radio. So we didn't, we didn't have that problem, but you know, there were like eight adults, you know, people with like mortgages, you know, like people with, with professional people in a room in London discussing, having this discussion about whether or not, you know, somebody up, up North at Radio 6 or whatever was going to say the word, but and it's just like, you know, one, it's a fucking waste of time, but two, like, where is the fucking line if that's even on the table for discussion? You know, like, it's just, it's, it's well, what about, even in the middle of a war. If there was in the middle of a war, no one would be like squeamish about saying the word bullet because it would be, it'd be very real and present around you. You know, I mean, if you're in the middle of an actual war, not, not distant wars, right? But yeah. what, about, what about the word? The word dignity, isn't that kind of like assisted suicide? That could be a bit problematic. Just call it of. Just call the. Yeah, just of. Know, yeah. Just refer to it as of. You get to that. In point, fact, take out know? all the words other than other than kind of prepositions and articles. Just you know, make yeah. it easier that way. It's just it's just commas and semicolons, and that's you know just punctuation. Just punctuation, which is kind of sort of where we where we're going, I guess. You know, in a kind of terrifying, in a terrifying way. Because I think I don't know. I just think to myself, if I was willing to kind of like you know wander around on stage you know with fucking two fingers at my own arse covered in feces screaming about like you know uh kiddie love what what like uh and, and i'm now kind of like second guessing even the slightest fucking thing when i go to like write a lyric or make a video or whatever you know i'm worried what what are like 21 year olds who want to make it their way in music and kind of like because it's like you're forever putting ideas just that are ever so slightly outre, like on the shelf. Because you're like, well, you know, I've got rent to pay, you know, like reality, you know, the practicalities of everything. Like, you've got to try and keep the people at the radio sweet, you know, you got to stay on side with the label and everybody else. And you want to get booked or you don't get, because it's like the walls are pressing in because there's no record sales, you know, like, so you got this twin thing, you know, on one, on one hand, like you can't do anything. And on the other hand, like, you know, you got to get by. It's just, it's, it's just a recipe recipe for endless, like beige, you know? I mean, it, there's a kind of irony, I think in it, in, insofar as, you know, like a lot of, um, yeah, pop culture in, in kind of the general sense, but rock in particular, kind of pushing at those boundaries, being provocative, right? And and those old like blue haired ladies who were shocked and whatever were the kind of Christian conservative reaction that slowly kind of died away. And I think there was a period of some sort of genuine freedom in the probably at maybe in the nineties, early two thousands or something mm. before the emergence of the new political correctness of wokeness and whatever. Um, but after mm. the old conservatism had died off and maybe, maybe that period was actually difficult because there was nothing really to push against, you know, um, the kind of whole modernist project is about pushing it away against tradition. Tradition had yeah. kind of gone away. Now we, now we have very much something to push against, right. have a kind of a yeah. very restrictive and conformist climate, but it doesn't seem to be more productive of, of kind of creativity or create, have the grounds for yeah. 
for invention. It's because it's there's there's no conservatives. There's nobody who's really trying to defend what's there. Instead, it would be a kind of probably younger. It's not like the adult, you know, parents' generation or grandparents saying like, I don't understand this. This must be bad. It's people who are, you know, who are young, who are probably hmm. have kind of hyper-liberal values, who are, that's where the, there's no kind of this like reservoir of like attitudes to, to be shocked, like upholding yeah. decency. I mean, I might be exaggerating a bit here, but it does seem well, that's like where you... the conformity comes from the, the, from the bottom up, not the top down or whatever. Yeah, that's definitely been my impression in the last. But then you got that thing where you ask, what well, are you going to accidentally wander into kind of, yeah, because it's like liberal and it's on the left or whatever, you know, that's where you feel like there's this kind of oppressively censorious kind of like vibe, you know, it's like, forget about the other side or whatever. But what do you do? You accidentally sort of like wander into like, a, a far more conservative kind of like, what are you going to like become a christian just to stick it to the books or whatever uh, i don't know what kind of, <laughs> right what's the what's the tactic there you know it's kind of like uh I, I, don't, I don't know how you get around that one you know but it was a really sudden and shocking kind of turn of events that i just did not didn't really see coming you know didn't think so but that, I, I think that is but that is a conundrum, right? I mean, I guess, you know, you don't want to just be provocative for its own sake, but if you want to kind of push against things, um, yeah, from what from what position do you do that if the liberalism has been kind of wholly swallowed up by the wokeness and then the alternative is some anti-woke becoming, being Christian to like own the libs or something, which, um, yeah. which you know, some people are doing, but it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty silly. But I, I want to talk about kind of a conformity in, in general, terms not just in regard to the to the woke thing which has been kind of endlessly discussed but yeah i wonder how you would characterize conformity more broadly today because i think to put it the other way around to flip it around the typical countercultural attitude of, of recent years has been to kind of point at things like shopping malls or the gentrified high streets that george mentioned earlier and chain pubs and stuff mm. and to kind of stand against that but there always seems to be a little bit of a sneering at the people who populate these places that goes along with that. So yeah. I wonder how you how you understand that um, attempt to kind of stand against a conformity. But you know, if you see that risk of of kind of being kind of anti masses in in that attempt to be not conformist. Yeah, that's a weird. That's it's it's a weird one. I think that's kind of boils down probably to a question of like class. You know, I think it's like. Um, that kind of uh, one size fits all shopping malls and all the rest of it, you know, it's kind of like, I definitely get the thing like this, the sneering thing. You don't want to wind up sneering. I think that happens a lot. You know, I think it's kind of even, even with like uh, people taking pride in their country or something like that, you know, it's like easy to kind of like rip the piss out of that, you know? Right. Yeah. I think that that often happens, you know, although I'm no stranger to it myself, but I don't know, like it's, 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 it's more like everybody's kind of siloed into different portions, I guess, like online. So when I think about conformity now, I just think it's kind of like, uh, you know, people aren't really left or, or right at all. It's some simulacrum of those things based on whatever wormhole they've fallen down whatever whatever the the algorithmic gods have designated their role in this kind of pretend game of, of like politics or whatever you know and i guess how you kind of 
on silo yourself you know how you get out of like one mindset or the other how you remain kind of like in between camps and independent of mind you know yeah i think yes yeah, so it's like not like, the old old conformity of, of of the mainstream high street but a kind of now new kind of social digital social media digital conformity of of yeah, yeah. you should say kind of yeah like algorithmic from... managed conformity yeah yeah so it's gone so yeah the shopping mall is kind of the inside of your head you know and you pick off a certain like point of view or a certain taste and this kind of thing and you know it's like uh and then yeah you end up being one thing or it's inversion you know and it's kind of like uh yeah like when people end up kind of like anti-woke or whatever you know it's like the i saw like the ricky gervais thing on on uh, Netflix the other day. And it was just like, he'd just become the same thing as what he was criticizing. And it just wasn't that funny. You know, it wasn't like particularly original, you know, it's just sort of like stepped into that kind of predetermined role. And I, I don't know, I guess it's kind of like the technology is so impossibly kind of manipulative and, and, and powerful and all consuming, you know, that it's just like remodeling people on this scale where it's like, how do you, uh, how do you take up some kind of a vantage point with that? You know, loads of drugs maybe might be a good place to start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, we, we had a, we had a, we had an episode recently on, on contemporary art and we talked, you know, our guest was explaining to us about how there's a kind of turn to the mystical and the magical and a kind of anti, anti-rational turn. Now I don't want to say that that makes it sound like, you know, before that art was rational and which, you know, it's kind of would be to do down kind of what art is or, or somehow reduce it. But nevertheless, that there's a kind of turn towards, you know, the, 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 the exotic or the indigenous and necessarily the magical and whatever from kind of Western artists. And there's something weird going on there. Mm. And I kind of that that kind of made me made me think a little bit, you know, maybe that's where things are going. In it, in it, I don't find that to be any less conformist, incidentally, in in, in my view, um, because these are you know elite cultural institutions and curators and whatever who are going and finding yeah. in kind of indigenous people something mystical and outside of Western civilization, which I think is a to, in a large degree a mirage. But I wonder if that's the way that things are going, and if if you encountered kind of these trends yourself or if you have any feelings on it yourself yeah i've definitely kind of come across that kind of a, of a sensibility you know i think what yeah wild drugs are kind of in their decline amongst the general population i think uh within certain intellectual circles and culturally there's a kind of newfound interest in stuff like psychedelics you know but but from from a from that kind of like a searching for some kind of higher truth as opposed to just casual, you know rave rave kids getting out of their heads in the weekend you know it's become this kind of almost like a, a people study it and they're looking for something there you know which I think has certain kind of validity but I think some push towards the mystic kind of. Uh, makes it makes sense as a kind of reaction to all that to sort of like de-spreadsheet your soul you know mm. by like i don't know like incantation and uh, hallucination and all this kind of stuff i mean my, my i've i've always been deeply embroiled in that and i've always kind of like i don't know i guess when you like when you smash a load of acid or dmt or whatever 
it's 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 difficult not to it's difficult to remain cynical about like the kind of uh your metaphysical kind of reality you know like it's kind of there is something in all that kind of almost limit experience i think you know new new kind of a new plane of sensuality or whatever but i think the flip side of that is kind of like for me has been has been spending time in north africa and algeria my family live in uh the mountains of Kabul, they're Berber, so it's incredibly simple, you know. And their life is 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 completely different. There are no, there's no drink, no drugs, any of that kind of stuff. But it's all rooted in in its own kind of mysticism, I guess, you know, and like uh, patience and gratitude. And it's almost like the same thing. It's just learning to kind of appreciate reality, either through either through like abstinence or absolute kind of exposure. To extreme sensuality you know there's some kind of like they both meet in some in some way you know but i found that's kind of like those are like useful technologies i think ritual and, and storytelling and all that kind of stuff you know but i think i think the, the hallucinogenic experience is kind of i don't know i don't feel too too cynical about that i think that's at the root of so much kind of culture but i so i mean it's interesting i i don't disagree I don't know how much of that there is there. Because although I say kind of, I made reference to kind of contemporary art being engaged in the magical and, and particularly the indigenous, for me, it, it sounds more like less a freewheeling exploration of, of the psyche and imagination and more a, a search for authenticity, you know, a kind of, it reflects a certain kind of alienated Western sensibility and an attempt to find who the, true good authentic people are there who are the good rooted victims against us mm. alienated western rationalists who are trampling over their culture so i i don't see that much of the hallucinogenic imaginative side and a lot more of the yeah kind of crisis of modernity kind of you know a, a search for authenticity i think yeah i mean yeah it's one but I mean, that's kind of. I oh, guess so let me, let me, up... let me. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I, I was going to maybe rephrase it a, 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 as a question rather than just kind of lobbing random thoughts. Uh, no, go ahead. Go so ahead. What I was going to say is like the. In your comments, I, it's nice that you went and mentioned Algeria because I wanted to kind of bring that in as well. You know, you write positively about things like the intergenerational support network, a slower pace of life, and so on. But you've also written positively about uh, Ivan Illich in, in a recent piece in, in Unheard, which is interesting because there does seem to be a recent revival in, of interest in, in Illich. Yeah. And I wondered if you wanted to comment on on that. I think it's it's that thing, I think, like uh, technolo technological excess, I think a lot of this boils down to, you know, I think when we look back at like uh, the, the noughties as this kind of halcyon time and the nineties as this kind of almost mythically halcyon time all the way back to the sixties where it was some kind of Olympian kind of paradise in terms of like culture and what was happening and everything. Then, the, you know, the, the immediate conclusion is just like you've been smothered just with these new communications devices and everything and industrial kind of capitalism is just like overrun everything. And I think the final point of that is where people begin to like actually reflect the machine and the machine begins to kind of mold them. And I guess with Illich, that's 
that's kind of the whole thing and how you kind of decouple from that is that even possible you know but there was there was so much stuff in there i found really kind of like resonated with with, with our particular kind of like vacuity that we're, we're, we're you know we're lost in in today you know where it's like hard to know your own mm. thoughts hard to even define things you know like what is like uh conformity you know and it's like it's just so kind of like it, it's so kind of beyond like i don't know your phone is just like this fucking devil magic kind of infinite impossible kind of thing it's smarter and bigger than you you know it's got your well, fucking I, I, I like how you made the comparison in something you wrote about you know kind of voices in your head that the phone and social media particularly you know just inserts these voices into your head you know you're arguing with people online and then you turn off your phone but they're still talking to you and the comparison you made between that and kind of you know cannabis induced psychosis and to a certain extent that's the you know that, that the psychosis i guess of, of of our day is more induced by social media yeah than than by yeah. drugs but it's you know it's the this kind of technological excess it, it definitely fills fills the gap and it does it with with a lot of skill in a way like smartphone designed to take up your attention and to engage you it does that extremely well and your point lies about like s- spreadsheets in the soul i mean this mm-hmm. yeah this kind of it, it can feel like that i guess the you know the the tools that we have are you know are to manage certain aspects of our life but if there's no meaning behind that you're left with the spreadsheets and what they actually contain is is sort of neither here nor there so i mean i i definitely think you know put all these things together and you can see people reaching for illich and and kind of anything that that sort of it takes a critical perspective on some aspects of of modernity and, and technology and particularly highlights the ways in which you know those technologies without any reason behind them can kind of, can you know come yeah. to distort us and and dominate in in a range of different ways yeah like his thing is the the, the solution to the problem is always more of the problem you know and that's like your yeah. your phone, like to 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 a T, you know. But it's like I've just noticed myself, like like the kind of workaholic it turns you into, you know, where you're like, you know, you're having a shit, you know, which should be a a, 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 a bit of tranquility, you know, a bit of personal time, you know, maybe read a magazine or something. But you're there doing a little bit of emailing, you know, you're just pinging that thing off to so and so and attach that document, you know, and it's just like you're constantly at work, you're constantly trying to hook things up or whatever, but like the metrics, you know, on everything. It's like even with music, you know, Spotify, you get an exact number of plays on the thing that you've just like spent like two years making or whatever. And it's like, I, I don't care about that, but I can't help but log on to Spotify and see exactly how many plays the thing has had, you know, and is it the right amount of plays? And so-and-so who I used to work with, who was booked, he, he's got this many plays and, and she's got that many plays. And you're just within this kind of like constellation of like metrics and you can't help but like adhere to it in some small way because you're mm. just too too weak. You need the kind of like affirmation mm. and the acknowledgement or or the lack of it. So Happens you push to podcasters too, yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's 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 brutal, you know, it's brutal. It's like com- so, comments threads, you know, they should just get rid of that shit, you know. So just a, a question on this, because it's like, I guess the perception might be that like, if you're a musician, like you don't, you kind of, I don't know, you rise above this or you kind of play for the, for the crowd and, you know, you don't count them individually. It's kind of that, 
that escape from the kind of you know the nine to five um this is not about my uh, current em- employer that kind of soul crushing nine to five kind of job office job that you might have it's like mm. it's an escape from that it's the opposite it's a kind of you know it's a realm of like experience and kind of you know reaching towards art and particularly performing live you know that's something mm. transformative and different but it sounds like the kind of managed quantified life is is creeping into that i think yeah like, everything just, yeah how how can you not check the number of plays that a song you know a single comes I out mean, it, it, on spotify it, it, it always was like that i mean it was i think it doesn't matter who you are like it doesn't matter which artist you're always keeping one eye on the size of the venue and the amount of people that are buying tickets or whatever mm. it's always been a thing but it hasn't been like broken down to these kind of pitchforky and fucking decimal points all over the shop you know but you can just get the minute of absolutely everything you'd be moderating it and streamlining it you know a bit more over here and it's just like it's just it's just all all mystery just just gone you know so yeah it's no wonder people are kind of you know heading back towards the mystic and the irrational you know i think that makes mm. that makes that makes sense i guess it might be just another narcissistic kind of deviation you know but people have to try something <laughs> yeah, i guess right It's also, I guess, about spaces where things are created, right? Because it seems to me that there's very few people now, and we're prevented from just kind of creating for its own sake, going about doing our thing, you know, beavering away, um, whether it's music or writing or pottery or whatever the hell it is. To then, and then you then you might take it public, right? Then you might introduce it to the public, and I think things are public before they're even before they're even fully formed. Right, that there's uh, an uh, yeah. an imperative to perform, to like put it on social media to show people, or even in terms of it, the content to make it have a statement already. So it's not like oh, I'm just making this. I don't know. What, I'm going to do pottery because that's the example like my brain threw at me, and, and we're going to run with that. But you know, I'm making this pottery, and maybe I'm just making because I want to make a beautiful cup. Instead, it's like no, this cup needs to say something about the oppression of the palestinians or something and it's like yeah, no it doesn't yeah, yeah. you can just make a nice thing you know and so there's this like immediate publicness and, and spectacular aspect to everything and I, I think that makes it quite hard i would imagine for artists to produce um quietly because to a certain extent you do need to be kind of doing you know kind of working away beavering away at, at think, your own thing and quiet i think yeah being ignored for a lengthy period of time is like crucial to an artist's development you know that's when people get tough that's when they refine and i see that a lot on like the music scene in london where you get like young bands who have the right angles you know uh whether it's like the identity thing or the angle you know and you see like a a record label will swoop in and put them on that machine and the treadmill and it's all operating you know and they know the whole system they haven't been left in like kind of just horrible obscurity to sort of like develop a, a point of view that anybody like uh that's worth hearing, you know, because everything is immediately public and it's infinite, you know, the photos, the videos and the gigs, it's all, there is no kind of shadow zone that you have to kind of crawl out of, you know, everything is kind of 
is there right away and that's kind of again it's kind of horrific you know there there yeah there really isn't enough kind of darkness what, what would happen with your, your yeah. yeah what would have happened then, with your band if it had been you know not whatever 2011 but it'd been 2021 or something i think uh we would just we would just never have gotten a look in no record label would ever have uh taken a punt on that because it would it's just like these people are problematic in every single way imaginable and none of the songs have a particularly kind of commercial appeal and i think it would have just i just don't think it would have happened i don't think anybody would have taken any kind of a chance on it but it grew up our first label, it was a tiny, tiny, tiny independent. I mean, people did ignore it anyway, actually, you know, when it was 2011 or whatever, it was a tiny, tiny independent label. It was no money or anything like that. And it just grew of its own accord. It became like a kind of scene thing, you know, until they couldn't really kind of ignore it any longer. But I don't know. I guess it would just, I think they'd kill it before it could grow, you know. You'd be some cancellation fiasco or some fucking thing. I don't know, you know. Something would have gone wrong. I just, I don't think the ecosystem's there to support it anymore. And I don't really see any anybody coming up in our tracks with that kind of like, just pour shit on everything kind of attitude. It just doesn't seem to happen anymore. You know, it's like edgelording, you know, you're not allowed to make a living edgelording anymore. It's forbidden. It's naughty, you know, it's, uh, it's off the table, you know, those days are done. Well, I mean, I think even even back then, I mean, I remember Fat White Family catching my eye precisely because it did that in a context in which there were few bands out there who who were, and it made mm. it kind of a much more intriguing proposition than than a lot of the stuff that was out there, even stuff that I liked musically, but it wasn't it certainly wasn't doing that. So, um, no, I, I think that's interesting, and I mean, you kind of already mentioned that that you know the capacity for sort of autonomy and and then for like artistic creation, the material basis for that is you know, not there anymore in terms of being able to live cheaply and rent as well as all the yeah. questions of cancel culture and, and being overexposed on social media and all the rest of it. And I wonder, like, you know, your band very much identified as like, okay, a South London band coming out of like a squad and whatever. I mean, that's what the kind of the, the I mean, it's the story that, that is told in, in your book, um, but it's mm. also, you know, the, the stuff that is, that the label, I says, I guess, puts on marketing literature. You're right. Like you're from this, right? It's like, but it's yeah. it's, it's a London band, and we always expected, I think, normally that you know, bands like that would come from big cities, and it seems like big cities make that in, increasingly impossible. That they are not able to germinate or you know get fungal, to use your um, delightful expression. Um, you know, do you see something interesting coming from? the provinces from like unfashionable small or mid-sized cities some of the places maybe you, you grew up even um that nowadays that they might actually be places where interesting things are happening in a way that london does not provide for that i think there, there's i think it's it's kind of uh there'll always be stuff coming out of the north of england i'm guessing you know I think people come out of the small towns, but they go to the city and that's where they kind of like, uh, you know, congeal and, and, and find the, that's where you go and find the other oddballs, you know, I think uh, from the sticks or whatever, but that, that whole process, that kind of melting pot thing. <clears throat> yeah. Inevitably that gets less and less and less likely. I think especially in, in London because it's particularly kind of brutal, you know, uh, in terms of like its size and the rent. You know, I think if you live in like Walthamstow and you live in yeah. Clapham, you might as well be in a different fucking country, you know, like it's too, you're too far away, you know, the network is too, 
to spread out wide, you know, for things to centralize and for there to be kind of hot spots, you know. Like, I mean, all of the venues have just kind of died mm-hmm. off. Like in Brixton, it used to be, oh, there used to be so many like greasy little venues, you know. Now there's just like one and it's busy mm-hmm. every single night of the week and the record labels are all always in there. And it's like, you, you know, that's that's the end. Your ecosystem has just shrunk down to basically nothing, you know. But yeah, the the small town, I mean, I guess that's the thing. The technology's there, isn't it? To reach out and to kind of do things like in a in a kind of decentralized way. But then the technology also just implores everything, you know, everybody to be exactly the same and to and to get in line, you know, and also to feel really negative about themselves, you know. That's the thing with the mad metrics, you know. It just induces this feeling of like, you know, horrible inadequacy, you know. It's like the same with when you're trying to write write an essay about something. You know, before the internet, you know, you you couldn't just type in like a, a name and find ten essays on that subject and then start reading. You know, you'd you'd be none the wiser. You know, so you wouldn't know how good or bad you are potentially writing this essay. You know, but now you kind of like you've immediately got like a whole litany of things that make you feel like inferior, like at your fingertips. You know, so you're kind of like damning yourself all the time. Um, yeah, I guess the tenor of the discussion so far has been sort of negative and not to be too, I don't know, apologetic about that, but it's not a good segue. But anyway, the book to return to that is called 10,000 Apologies. And one thing I was thinking as I was reading it was like, who who are the apologies to and for what? Because there's a lot of, uh, I guess you could call it euphemistically kind of bad behavior in there. There's some antics on stage and off stage, but like the ethos seems to be not like no apologies for any behavior, but like here is an attempt, you know, to kind of do some of that punk kind of aesthetic of dissonance and dissidence and kind of, you know, push the boundaries a little bit. So yeah, I just, yeah, just a question I had as reading it. What, um, who are the apologies to and why are there 10,000 of them? I think when I, when I'm, I think of the 10,000 as being kind of internal apologies within the group. Right. I feel like that's what, you know, I don't think those were meant for for anybody out there. I think the book generally was more of a kind of like like a, a qualification maybe of things, you know, but I don't feel like, uh, I feel if anything, people owe us something, you know, I don't feel sorry, you know, but within the group, I think there was such kind mm-hmm. of inconsistencies uh, morally, you know, member to member that uh, it just became it became comical you know but i think this is the who would be a musician now i think the thing is like you could be like killing each other you know like you'd be fucking really at each other's throats you know like actually physically going at one another and you would hate each other to the point of like fantasizing about 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 killing each other or whatever you know it would go all the way to the depths the bowels of hatred you know and then you'd go up and you'd play a show and then you'd come off and you'd just be like long lost brothers again and all was forgotten, you know. It's like this esprit de corps that takes hold when you actually get into performance and touring and that life that's just absolutely unlike any other kind of experience. It's just like, and if you combine it with a load of drugs at the same time, you're on some like uh, Elysian realm, you know, experientially, you know. And it's like it's amazing the capacity for forgiveness in in that moment, you know, like you become a kind of like you become like tolerance, like defined, you know, like you will put up with anything from each other, 
And then the darkness will roll around mm. again, you know, and then the shows are over, you know, and there's this thing like, where do you go when the shows are over? Where do these men go? You know, what do they do? You know, and they, and they <laughs> harangue and torture each other in the darkness, you know, and they do their shitty drugs and until it's ready for them, you know, until the bat symbol goes up on the, the lamp again and they go out and they do it all over again, you know, but who would become a musician? I don't know. I couldn't really advise it. Mm. You know, I, I think if your thing is kind of in, in any way kind of strike a kind of a, a anarchic kind of chord in the culture, I think, I think it's lost m much of its kind of, you can still do it, but you can't do it while also scraping a living together. I think you've got more chance blogging yeah. or, 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 or podcasting or, you know, I think the written word has far more kind of anarchic kind of potential because it's like you just need nothing to do it. You can do it with a, a laptop and that's it. You know, you don't need a team. You don't need a place to rehearse. You can really get, you know, that's it. Like I think now you're just doomed to like the absolute fringes, you know, and it rots your brain doing that thing every single night, you know, your whole life boils mm. down to just one hour and the rest of your life is it's just dead weight you're just getting through it it's just service stations travel lodges and masturbation there is no life you know and that doesn't you don't cultivate yeah. any particularly like worthwhile knowledge or perception of the world living like that you know but i mean if you absolutely yeah. have to have like that kind of like extreme if you have to have your ego gratified in that kind of a way, you're just going to do it anyway, even if it if it's really bad for you, you know. Yeah, I mean, I I guess you know if you if you're compelled to do it, you'll do it whether it's a good idea or not. I guess there there was a spate of articles a few years ago now that was like podcasts are the new punk because you just like you know set out with a few microphones and this sort of thing. And I don't know some of the things that you said with a much <laughs> like vastly reduced kind of um uh, intensity do seem to apply to podcasting to an extent like you you know you perform a, to a certain extent well, it and was... you have little arguments and that but i mean yeah. i guess it, you know it's 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 live and that is the the define or previously the defining thing about music is it, it has to be experienced with people in up there on the stage and people in the audience and that you know that must be a it, is that a sufficient buzz to 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 kind of to ruin uh, your life <laughs> offset everything else though in your life <laughs> i mean you, um, you, you did it and you kept doing it and you're still doing it now so i guess this is yeah i yeah i'm always pouring like cold water on it you know but yeah i'll i guess i'll know when i'm done you know like forrest gump running backwards and forwards across america you know like eventually i'll i'm finished now but I think uh, there's, it's it's kind of like, I don't know, it's just the most visceral kind of experience that, you know, but um, I just think as a, as, a, as a kind of cultural mode, I don't, I don't know, like coming back to that thing about Flaubert thinking that all of his work was already kind of like infected by the contemporary morality that he was mired in, you know, and that he should just get rid of it all, you know. I think it's like it's it's like that. I just think you've got no hope of actually kind of, like the guys that kind of got you, the, the the people like that led you to 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 form a band in the first place. You know your idols, the the heroes from the sixties and the seventies and the eighties. You know these people are kind of like the, the divine inspiration. You know that's not that's not an option for you. You know your brain has already malformed in a way that you know you, you, 
that level of freedom is 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 impossible for you now you know it's like uh you know and it will only seem more so as time rolls on the further we roll down the mountain you know like the impossible heights that were scaled in that kind of golden era will only seem more impossible and only actually become more impossible it was just a particular moment you know so you are kind of like a an imitation of an imitation of an imitation you know it's like an echo like a decent i think you have to just take on board that that's basically your you know you are the dregs of this kind of cultural moment you know but the real party is somewhere else now you know it doesn't matter how much you love lou reed you know like you just can't get down on that kind of a level because it's not there anymore you know I mean, it is quite disquieting to think. <clears throat> I've thought about it before, like pop culture and particularly rock music is something that existed from 1955 to 1995 or whatever. Yeah. And that it's over. And then like historians will look back and be like, oh yeah, this was the thing that happened. And it was really important to a lot of people. Um, and it was yeah. the soundtrack to people's lives and blah, blah, blah. And and it doesn't exist anymore. And, and that's quite disquieting because it's something that we've taken so for granted and, and such an integral part of kind of the experience of being modern, <laughs> you know, yeah. living in the modern world. That's, but that was a big part of it, right? It was soundtracked. Um, and, and the, yeah. not having that is, is weird. And I, I'm not even comfortable with it now and the, and how little music I listened to relative to what I did and how central it was to my life. So yeah. despite that, right. So I, just, I mean, I wanted to kind of round this out and you've got a new album coming out in, on, in, in April. Um, yeah. and you had the experience of your third album being very well received and, then the big tour around it being interrupted um, as so much else mm. was by the pandemic. And now it's kind of 2024 and you're coming around to, to releasing a new album. So you haven't kind of given up the ghost in, in that regard, at least. Um, so I don't know if you want to talk through about what's in the album, if there's an idea behind it, what the pro or maybe the process of, of producing it in, in this context. Uh, I think the, the, the thing was like the pandemic was a really good thing for some people and for other people it was a really really terrible thing for me it was kind of like rehab or something you know i never considered myself far gone enough with drugs to go and have rehab and therapy and shit things never got that dramatically awful for me personally you know so I was able to start writing and that was kind of like therapizing myself or whatever. And I calmed down a lot in in those years and stopped kind of like uh, fucking my head up quite as much as I, I got some perspective, but for people in music generally, it was a complete disaster for so many of the people I work with and, and that I know it was like their entire world was just kind of like obliterated you know i think if you like to write or you make podcasts or you study or whatever the pandemic was kind of like a gift in so many ways you know you had no more distraction all this time to think you know but within the group it set us rolling in very kind of different directions psychologically you know and it's like that you know the center will not hold you know and it didn't you know and there were some real catastrophic fallouts there was a lot of infighting worse than that before so the whole thing has kind of just been like trying to work out some kind of new way of uh, of working you know a lot of it's kind of contingency you know but i always thought of the group as basically just you know the group is about the group you know it's just this kind of never-ending fucking uh, soap opera you know so that's always what the thing is about you know but this time it just got like uh 
got to a point of of like inanity and and, and resentment that uh, that that was truly truly kind of testing, you know, with the interrelational kind of stuff, you know. Um, so it was it was hard, and I guess that's what it's that's what it's about, you know, surviving yourself in some way, you know. But yeah, that's like a, that's a that's a that's about it, you know. It's hard for me. I guess you make the thing so you don't have to explain it to a certain extent, you know. But um, I would say, yeah, the overarching aesthetic aesthetic themes are torpor and further torpor still, and that's about it. <laughs> Excellent. So, but you're not outraged about Margot Robbie not being nominated for Best Actress for her performance in the Barbie movie. Oh, definitely, definitely. There's all that kind of stuff in there, you know. Like, uh, like I, 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 you know, I found that just, you know, I just couldn't handle it, you know. But uh, <laughs> I think, uh, I think trying to strike a chord with those guys. I think track track three, we've got a track called "Polygamy Is Only for the Chief," which is kind of, you know, it's on that kind of wavelength. That that Margot Robbie kind of, you know, definitely, you know. You got to hit those big issues, you know. There's big dollar in the big issues. You know? <laughs> the big dollar, yeah. <laughs> well, the algorithm to, yeah. to to recommend if you enjoyed Barbie original soundtrack, you might like Fat White Family. You, you might, know, that's you might you that's might, how to do it. You might enjoy this. Yeah, yeah. No, we've got some really commercial stuff on there. I got like the story of my my big brother's circumcision, like a spoken word narrative piece. You know, he had it done when he was uh, five in Algeria, like the old way with no anesthetic or anything you know so i thought that was a kind of blow to to hit my father with you know uh make sure i get taken off the wheel and everything <laughs> so yeah i've tried to make Cutting, it kind of uh, yeah. yeah yeah you know per- personal but also kind of universal you know <laughs> <laughs> great stuff right lies um this has been this has been a lot of fun you're welcome yeah. back uh, at any time. Good luck with the with the new record, and uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye.